Sentimental Journey, welcome to I Worked at the Fabulous Palm Springs Follies podcast. I am your host, Steve. Thank you for joining me this week. This week, we're going to cover three things. One, what's a mo-boy? Two, you cut my steering wheel. And three, I'll take care of you guys. What's a mo-boy? That's the first thing we're going to cover. That first week... Oh, or I'm sorry, that first season uh, for me at the Follies, as I mentioned, there was three of us that came from Missouri originally, myself, Dan, and Patrick, and we were joined a little later in the season, just before the, well, right when the 10 show weeks started, we were joined by another guy from out of Missouri, but not from Missouri. He was actually from Connecticut. I just worked with him in Missouri. His name was Evan. And when we got to Palm Springs, the three of us, uh, the three original ones of us got there, we got dubbed the Mo Boys because we were from Missouri. It was, I, I cannot tell you who started calling us that, I'm not sure, but for most of that first, remaining first season in 1995 in the spring, that's what people referred to us as, we were the Mo Boys. And we took it in stride, it was fun, you know, we were happy with it, and at the time, the Follies produced a newsletter, a paper newsletter, that everybody got either weekly or monthly. I can't recall. I just know that one day we all three got called upstairs to the offices, and we thought, oh, man, we've done it again. What now? What could possibly get us called up to the offices? Well, it was because Mary's assistant, James, and I believe James Steinman is the name, full name. Somebody will correct me if I'm not right there. James was going to do an interview and find out about the Mo Boys. So that was fun. We got to talk about us, which we always like to talk about us, no matter who you are, right? It's always fun to talk about yourself. And we did our interview there and everything. And I got to tell you, while it was fun to be called the Mo Boys, and that was an interesting time, it did come with a, a little bit of a hassle because part of that as well, I think, is comes about because they were trying to, uh, you know, put the fear of God or whatever in some of the stagehands that were already there. And, you know, it was weird. We were a cohesive group pretty well, all the stagehands. It was, we, we went out together. We did things after work. We did things on our days off together. Although really on our days off, especially during those 10 show weeks when we just had that Monday off, uh, we kind of uh, kept to ourselves. Uh, that was the day we tried to catch up on stuff at our condo there in Rancho Mirage. And, you know, we would, we'd love, at that time, we loved to go to the mall because it had a record store in it. So we'd go to the record store, spend money on records and things like that. And I remember one day, Patrick and I went to the mall by ourselves during one of those 10 show weeks. And, I, and there was a music store close by there as well. And I went in, I bought a set of bongos. And then I had to ride back on the bus with my bongos. That was weird. It's really strange. And we did a lot of things together as our own selves, and then we did a lot of things together with the other stagehands. So we were a pretty cohesive group. I just feel like sometimes that moniker, they used it to try to scare other people, which is just weird. They would say, oh, you know, the Mo Boys can do it if you guys can't. 
And it wasn't that we were greater or better than anything like that. We just had been together so long as a unit in college that we kind of knew how to interact with each other and what each of our strengths were and what we could bring to the table in a certain way. Our goal coming to Palm Springs was nothing more than it was a fantastic job opportunity for us. We were in California, at the, which was, at the time was just the, the tops, you know, for guys like us. And we took it all in stride. I do remember after those 10 show weeks ended, this might have been the year that we did, they did their first Follies Foolies, which is where the stagehands or the office people got together and presented a, you know, a funny version of the show doing their own uh, kind of acts and things like that, maybe showcasing their talents a little bit. I know Millicent from Wardrobe, who was the head of Wardrobe at the time, Millicent loved to sing uh, songs. She had a great voice, and so it was a great time for her to shine. And she also, I believe, directed the shows. It was kind of her baby. Well, when those 10 show weeks ended, I believe we had about four days off in a row. And the the night that that last show was over with and we were ready to go home, we piled into Evan's car. It's important. Evan's car is important because this is going to come up later when we didn't have a car. We piled into Evan's car and the four of us, we raced up to San Francisco because we had some friends that lived up there. We were going to stay with them in their apartment. So that's an eight-hour drive through the dead of night to San Francisco. And we were in San Francisco. It was a whirlwind trip. We stayed there for maybe two days. And then we had to get back to Palm Springs to do the rehearsals for the Foolies. We weren't in it, but we were running the technical aspect of it. That was the thing about it then was that uh, we were kind of like the office people in that we had just been in the background technically there working. This was a chance that they were saying, okay, you guys are going to be in the forefront of the technical stuff this time. So I ran the audio for it. Uh, Patrick and Dan took care of the lighting. Evan helped run the stage. And one of the other stagehands during this time period, he was new that year as well. His name was Hutch. And Hutch was probably the guy we picked on uh, collectively as a group of stagehands that year. He was a, a, a good guy to pick on. And he roped somebody into playing piano for him, and he sang a song, kind of a funny ditty about working at the Follies, and, you know, he would name-check people and things like this. It was kind of an interesting, neat little thing. And in the middle of it, he dropped some Mo-Boy references, and it was kind of derogatory towards us. And at the time, we weren't really happy about it. Looking back on it now, it's funny. We deserved every bit of it that he gave us. And that really kind of... Uh, was the beginning of the end of the term Mo Boys. It lasted that first season. When we came back for the se- for our second season there, and there were more guys from Missouri joining us then, and we'll talk about that later in another time, we didn't keep that moniker then. Uh, it just dropped away. We didn't, you know, we didn't, like I said, we didn't invent it. We did or come up with the idea of calling ourselves that. It was somebody dropped it on us somewhere. They thought it was funny. I'm going to guess it was either Franklin or Dan Jardine that did it. That's just my thoughts. I'm not 100% sure. Well, the second thing we're going to revisit are two gentlemen that worked at the Follies that would go above and beyond to help us out, especially that first year. The first one, I'll just name them right now, is Dave Hall, who was the head of lighting at the time, and John Finkler, who 
uh, I believe may have been the head of the house management team. I'm really not clear for those first couple of years on what John's job was, other than he was always there to lend a hand and help us. And Dave, I want to set the stage a little bit for this story about Dave that I'm going to tell here in a minute, but I want to, I want to paint a picture here first. Dave, he was... Uh, he was a rough and tumble stagehand kind of guy. He'd been around the, the block a few times, yet he was very, was, is very kind. He's a, a great soul, especially once you can really get to know him and, and become part of his, you know, inner circle, his, his thoughts and, and life. And Dave had a fairly new Ford, red Ford F-150 pickup truck. And it was just a single cab at the, at the, that he had, so it didn't have a, a back seat. I believe it had a full eight-foot bed. And every now and then, especially during those 10-show weeks, uh, the performances would run, the day would run long, and we couldn't take the bus home because whatever, whatever reason the bus stopped running, I think, at like 10 o'clock, I'm not 100% sure. So there were times we had to scramble for a ride because if we had to take a cab ride home five or six days a week, that would really have added up in expenses. I, I'm not 100% sure what a cab ride would have cost us from downtown Palm Springs to Rancho Mirage at the time. I just know it would have been a lot because we did it once or twice uh, when we couldn't get a, a ride from somebody else. But to do it five or six times a week, ugh, boy, that would have that would have been disastrous. So Dave would give us rides in his pickup truck. Well, that meant that with three of us, because Evan wasn't here yet, so there's three of us, that meant one other guy could ride in the cab with Dave. The other two guys had to ride in the truck bed. And what we would do is we would lay down in the truck bed so that the cops couldn't see that we were there because that would have led to a ticket for Dave, and we didn't want to do that. And there was times Dave would take us home and he'd take us through the Taco Bell drive through because it was always open late and they'd hand us our food into the pickup bed. <laughs> so Dave was super generous in doing this for us because he lived out that way, uh, I think just a little further out than we were. So that was just a really generous thing that Dave would do for us. And how did we pay Dave back? Well, we paid Dave back this way. This is the story. For whatever reason, on one of the two show days, Dan Kemper needed to go to Dave's truck to either get something for Dave or to get something that we had ridden with Dave that day and Dan had left something in the truck. I, I don't know. So Dave gave Dan his keys. Dan goes, does whatever he needs to do in Dave's truck, comes back. Notice I said comes back. Around this time, we used to park, Dave would park across the street where there was used to be a mall there and so they had a parking garage, and we could park there in that parking garage. And it wasn't always the safest place for vehicles. They'd get broken to a lot. So Dave had one of these, uh, I forget what you call them, that go on your steering wheel, that block, keep the wheel from turning if someone steals your car. So he had one of those. And <clears throat> come back. Dan got whatever he needed out of the truck. Come back do the second show, we leave, take the bus home. Remember, the bus ride is about 30 to 45 minutes. No cell phones. We did not have cell phones at this time. We didn't even have pagers yet. We get home. 
and we had a landline phone. We get back to the condo. The message machine is full of messages. We start playing them, and they're frantic messages from Dave Hall. Where's my keys? Where's my keys? I need my keys. Guys, my keys, my keys. Guys, my keys. So finally, the last message was, forget it. I cut the wheel. I don't blame Dave for what he did. I would have done the same thing if I was in his shoes, probably in a fit of anger. Dave had a second set of keys for his truck. That second set of keys did not have a key to unlock the uh, anti-theft device. Dave needed to go wherever Dave wanted to go. Dave went back into the Follies, got a hacksaw, cut his steering wheel so that he could get that device off and go where he was going to go. Dan Kemper had kept Dave's keys. Notice I said Dan Kemper came back. I didn't say Dan Kemper came back and gave Dave his keys. Dan Kemper just came back. Dave's keys were in Dan's pocket. This, I believe, happened on what would have been a Friday for us. Not not Friday day. We, we talk in terms of when your Friday and your Monday is because it's not always on a Friday or a Monday. So our Fridays were usually Sunday nights, and then you had Monday off or Monday, Tuesday off, depending upon the show schedule. Well, we come back to work a day or so later. And in my mind, this is what happened. Dave walked in with that steering wheel in his hands that had been cut. And over the day or so off, he had a new steering wheel replaced. I don't know how much that cost him. I know it could not have been cheap. Dave was livid. And rightfully so. And him and Dan got into it, and this tiff lasted at least until the end of that season and probably carried over into the next season. They each blamed each other for the problem. Whatever happened, I'm going to just tell you, Dave was right, Dan was wrong. That's just the way it is. Dave was right, Dan was wrong. Dan should have made sure he got the keys back to Dave. This is a terrible, funny story, though. It's funny now to look back on it. It was horrible at the time. And what we should have done is, as a group of guys, the three of us, we should have taken up a collection and paid for Dave's steering wheel. Pretty sure Dave never gave us another ride. That's just the way it goes. That leads me to our other fantastic man at the Follies, John Finkler. John took great care of us. I, I can, I'll say it, just all the years I was there, but those first two years especially, John looked after us. Uh, in the theatrical world, a lot of times, there's a lot of orphans. And I don't mean that in the sense of not having mothers and fathers, we would refer to each other as orphans if we're away from family because you usually have to work on holidays and you're away from family. You're a theatrical orphan. And John loved to throw holiday dinners and parties, and he always made sure to invite us to those events, and we always made sure to go. And they were lovely events. 
He took great care of us, made sure that we were never uh, without. He was the one that when we moved into town, uh, he was the guy that interfaced with the real estate agents to help us find places to live. He facilitated, you know, helping us do banking, where we should go for this or, or items, things like that. Well, the other things John would do, he lived further out than us. And I want to say he lived in La Quinta at the time. John can correct me if I'm wrong here. And he would drive by us as we were waiting on the bus a lot of times. And our bus stop was not a bus stop with, you know, a, a shelter. It was a sign. The bus stops here. And there was a small rainy season in Palm Springs. And John would stop and some mornings give us rides into town. Uh, you know, if it was raining or if it was the weather had turned hot, whatever. John took care of us. John would drive us into town when he saw us sitting out there. We never asked John for that ride. He was just that kind of a man, is just that kind of a man. I'm sorry I speak in the past tense so much. He is that kind of a guy that takes care of people. I, you can find him on Facebook. He's active in the Follies group. He's got great pictures. He's got great memories as well. And I cannot wait to talk to him about some of the antics that went on uh, over the years that he chastised me for a few things. And he also helped me out in a lot of ways. He was just a great figure to have at the Follies. He was a really, he is a really upstanding gentleman. And he is a true gentleman as well. If you look in the dictionary, you're probably going to see John Finkler's picture under real gentleman, because that's what he is, a real gentleman. And quite frankly, that's what a lot of the entire back office of the Follies were. That's what those, all those great people that worked in the offices from, you know, the ticketing offices to the management offices to the receptionist. Uh, Pat was receptionist for many years there. I can't remember who our receptionist was when we first moved there. And I have to say the first time that I quit and left the Follies for what I thought was greener pasture. And that's a later episode. I went to Louisville to work and I can remember I got to Louisville a week early before my job was supposed to start. Cause I needed to find a place to live. And I can remember going into the offices of the actors theater there and the receptionist there asking, hey, I need a place to live. How do I get electricity? And she was nice enough, yet she didn't facilitate anything for me. And when you came to the Follies, at least our experience when we came to the Follies, they facilitated things for us. Before our plane touched down that first year to start work at the Follies, we already had a place to live. They took care of finding us a place to live. And that meant that Franklin picked us up at the airport in Ontario, drove us to Palm Springs. We went straight to the show, did two shows, and we were able to go right to our apartment after the show. We didn't have to go uh, live on somebody's couch. We didn't have to go to a hotel. No, we went right to our 
condo that they set up for us. It was incredible, the things that the everyone at the Follies, you're just not going to find that in any businesses today. You're not going to find that in the theatrical world at all. This was, I say it over and over again, that jewel box theater in the desert was an anomaly in the world of entertainment and in the world of business. Why? Because of the people. Why? Because the people made it work. They, you know, from the theatrical side of things to the business side of things, the people made it work. It was the people. The Palm Springs Follies was not the Plaza Theater. Although, in its own right, the Plaza, the physical structure of the Plaza Theater plays a huge part and was its own breathing, living entity. The real heart of the Follies were all of the people that worked there, no matter what you did. I remember uh, I got great, a couple of great stories about Ray, I believe his name was Ray, was the janitor at the Follies. There, I have a couple of great stories about that man and some interesting things that he did. I, it, it breaks my heart that not every place that people have to go to work worked the way the Follies worked. Because if everybody, when they go to work, had a wonderful support system, had wonderful staff and people to work around them, like we did at the Follies, there'd be a whole lot less uh, sadness about going to work and people feeling like they were going to their, you know, the salt mine. And this is one of those instances that a lot of times we didn't see it for what it was when we were in it, you know, and now we look back on it as the great old days, the good old days. The thing about the Follies was when you were in it, you knew you were really in it. You knew that these were good days. And there was a lot of bad days. Those were usually brought on by ourselves, though. Well, here we are. I'm marching through that first season. I want to kind of get through that first season. And then we're going to start having those interviews come up with all of you. I thank each and every one of you that listen to the show as it comes out. I really appreciate it. It means a lot to me. I hope it means a lot to you. This is Steve. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to I Worked at the Fabulous Palm Springs Follies.